Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman. And this week, fresh from hiding the numbers at the Netflix office, <laughs> it's Gabe Lampalobello. Welcome back. Thank you, Jesse. I'm glad to be back for this one. I think it's going to be a uh, varying opinion sort of discussion. Yes. So we're doing kind of a a more kind of quick, quick and loose sort of like midweek episode, um, mostly talking about Netflix and their latest blockbuster release, The Gray Man. As you and I are talking, we are hours away from seeing Jordan Peele's Nope, uh, which yes. there'll be, I'm, I'm sure, a, a bigger, longer episode on next week. Um but for now, uh, I will let me first before we get into our next conversation. Um, the weekend at the box office, big dip for Thor: Love and Thunder. Um, A surprising of, dip. Yeah, maybe an indicator of kind of what talked about last week on that episode of some kind of bad buzz around the MCU movies currently. Um, you know, at least affecting like, you know, I see a big drop off like that. And that to me is like, that's representative of like bad word of mouth, essentially. Um, and seems like at least kind of the vibe around this movie, similar to the Doctor Strange movie a few months ago, which I believe had an even bigger second weekend drop was is is was a bit mixed even amongst the the fans. I don't know if you had any kind of more insightful uh, thoughts into that but kind of just just sort of like scrolling down what what has happened in the last week that was kind of like one of the first things that jumped out at me i i will say as far as the thor love and thunder kind of conversation is going as you know and you and i see all these mcu movies people mm-hmm. are starting to feel the fatigue yeah and people are starting to not be on board with having to work to understand what goes into some of these movies Right. Now, you know, I I don't want to go all inside baseball here, but if you scroll through the Twitterverse, you know that some leaks have come out from Marvel Studios saying, oh, old Mr. Kevin Feige has not been overseeing things like Mm. he normally does. Interesting. So, you know, I don't know if that's an indicator of kind of why Phase 4 has taken a dip, you know, between this and Doctor Strange. It's maybe, maybe a case of not the right people getting involved. Um, But, you know, looking at these box office numbers, too, I did want to kind of just give a shout out to Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Um, Totally a take your grandma to movie, but man, it charmed me over and Leslie Manville's pretty delightful. So, I mean, it's it's kind of uh, a good sort of comparison to kind of the one of the bigger theatrical releases last week, which was where the crawdads sing which is adapted from this best-selling novel that um you you didn't see the movie i i saw the movie at a a press screening have you read the book because i had not read the book to this which is apparently like very very a very popular like go to the beach summer read experience was was in reese witherspoon's illustrious book club and (laughs) reese witherspoon was a producer on this movie I have not read the book, um, but I am a big fan of some of the cast. Mm-hmm. So I will say, you know, for me personally, if I was going to see it, it would be just for Daisy Edgar Jones, um, because I think she's having a very interesting year coming off of Fresh yes. back in March. Two um, two movies, maybe to, to talk a little bit about like what my thoughts were on the Crawdad movie. I mean, two two movies that I think she is quite good in and I want to see her in much more stuff, um, but maybe two movies I, I didn't enjoy. I don't know. I, I thought of it because you mentioning Miss Harris Goes to Paris and mentioning like a take your grandma to the movies sort of experience. Like I I feel like a, if the Crawdad's movie came out in the last two or three years there's maybe this worry of like is is this the kind of property that will do well at the box office or does well you know in a wide theatrical release and it came in at number three at the box office but made like a pretty good chunk of change for like what it cost and seems to be on its way to 
being a hit. And I that seems to be based off a lot of the pieces, kind of Monday morning quarterbacking the box office on Monday. Like a lot of that seems to be thanks to adult women going to the movie theaters. And it this, I guess, end up being a pretty savvy marketing ploy by by sony to to do some kind of counter programming during the summer of like no well there there is a sort of untapped adult female audience that maybe doesn't want to go out to see top gun or you know uh doesn't want to keep up with 20 some mcu movies or something it just, just wants like a fun night at out at the movies and here's like a very popular novel and is directed right towards that demographic and the demographic showed up and maybe it's as much as i i wouldn't say the movie i i never got in the movie what it is that kind of like made this book so popular um i mean you and i kind of texted a little bit about it after i saw it i kind of jokingly referred to it as like what if nicholas sparks adapted the jodie foster movie Nell, but with like a sprinkling of To Kill a Mockingbird in it, which is (laughs) a reference that I'm not quite sure is going to mean anything to anyone because who on earth has seen the Jodie Foster movie Nell? And if you haven't seen the Jodie Foster movie Nell, maybe you shouldn't see the Jodie Foster movie Nell, (laughs) Um, (laughs) is what I will say about that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's basically Daisy Edgar Jones um, as this young woman on the North Carolina coast. You and I both have grown up in North Carolina. And so there is some kind of like fun kind of, that doesn't really make sense. North Carolina geography in this movie. Um, but uh, is basically like as a young girl is like abandoned out in the marshland and has to grow up to sort of fend for herself and falls in love with these two young men. One is who is a like very sweet boy from the town. Who's just as loving and caring and understanding as he can be. And then the other one is a total douchebag who and and then there's like a whole murder murder trial that sort of bookends either part of the movie, but feels like it's like ripped from something completely different where like she the the douchey guy like winds up dead and she is uh, the chief suspect in his murder. And really, that's just sort of a framing device. So David Strathairn can come in as the lawyer and be like, tell me your life story. And then we get the, you know, our kind of like southern spanish moss uh north carolina coast romance uh story so a a movie that it 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 did nothing really for me i like daisy edgar jones i want to see her in more stuff i found the movie kind of laughably silly in a couple places while also just sort of kind of like saw a lot of its its beats coming having seen a lot of these movies but i it's it's success. I wanted to mention it because it's success at the box office. I think bodes well for people kind of returning to theaters, if that makes any sense. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think it's, it's a, like you said, it's more of a good indicator that there is an audience out there that wants to go back to the movies, Mm -hmm. but not as many people are into yellow pills for kids that are the minions or screaming goats. Like, right, right, right. Right. It's so, a good, it's a good indicator that like there there is a broader demographic than just sort of like 13-year-old boys wanting to go to the movies if that makes any sense. No, completely <laughs> and totally and and like I said in our text chain, I'm I'm glad you took the bullet on this one, my friend. <laughs> um well, speaking of 13-year-old boys, um let's talk about a movie <laughs> that definitely seems to be made for them or maybe maybe isn't. I guess the other movie that got kind of re- a small, very almost microscopic release in theaters this past weekend, though it sounds like the directors don't want you to see it in theaters, um, is The Gray Man, which I've I've been fascinated to talk about because I think we can kind of balloon this into not just a discussion on this movie, which is uh, a kind of globe-trotting spy action movie with Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans and Ana de Armas in it um but to name a few to name a few um and directed by the russo brothers who have done several of the biggest marvel movies including avengers endgame and is 
is among from from a sort of outside looking in business perspective like is among the more sort of interesting quote unquote summer blockbusters this summer if only cuz it allows us to kind of <laughs> you know, surgically open up the Netflix movie strategy and really talk, which is something that's been in the headlines for the last six months. And there is a lot of hot takery about and even a lot of internal conflict within the company, it seems, as far as like what their original movie direction should be. And so I I thought this would be a a sort of ripe topic for us to sort of unpack and and tie into each all of these different aspects of the business. Um, yes, especially should... with... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to mention it's actually dropping on Netflix like this next coming weekend. So got like a very small release in in sort of like a handful of theaters and then is going to be on everyone's Netflix page this coming weekend. Which is interesting when you have a $200 million price tag for your Mm. big budget Netflix movie. And I will say, you know, like we've been referencing, we are North Carolina film critics. North Carolina is not as big of a market as, you know, L.A. or New York, obviously. Mm -hmm. And yet we still got this movie playing theatrically in places. Yeah, here in Atlanta where I am, there's, there's obviously this very kind of... Let's let's just say uh awkward and occasionally spicy relationship between Netflix and like some of the bigger movie theater chains like AMC and Regal. And so there there's, a, there's a couple like studio movie grills and stuff like that. There that are kind of like on the edges around the city, um, kind of maybe out in the suburbs, some here in Atlanta. Uh, but so yeah, it it has there's like a couple theaters here that were playing it last weekend, but for the most part, you know, if it's not at the major theater chains, no no one was picking up the gray man here at where, where I live now this past weekend. No, and same here. I mean, it was mostly, you know, these smaller chain theaters like the Studio Movie Grills, uh more independent chains. But let's just get right into it. For the a huge theatrical movie, like we like I said earlier, two hundred million dollar price tag. You do not need to see in this thing in a theater. Mm. The visual effects are so shoddy, and it's really surprising coming from Netflix mm-hmm. that a movie with this cast and these directors at the helm, coming off of the biggest film of all time, that this is what they were given from a VFX standpoint. Um, you know, I'm I'm kind of curious if all that budget went to just getting this cast together which it kind of seems likely but if i had to pick a qualm right off the bat some of these action sequences are just just a mess yeah Um, i mean i watched this on a screener at home i believe you did did likewise you 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 watched this at home so see we we are a man we are men of uh of the proletariat, we are not the the boor, the bourgeoisie as <laughs> as the Russo brothers seem to think. <laughs> that have you been following some of their quotes from this press? They are not doing. Yes. I, I have to say, they are not. All all respect to them, they are probably laughing at me on their pile of money they've made from doing all those Marvel movies, but do not seem to be doing themselves any favors with some of these some of these quotes they've been giving out (laughs) no and i can't help but wonder if the you know and and there's been a lot of talk in the industry lately of netflix and disney and these companies having unrealistic expectations Mm -hmm. unrealistic standards for their releases and there's a part of me that can't help but wonder if this is the same situation that we're gonna find out about years later Mm -hmm. just from a budgeting standpoint yeah and from a vfx standpoint um right off the bat you said you know we're gonna go back and be 13 year olds and discussing this movie and i think that kind of hits the nail on the on the head Mm -hmm. if i was anywhere between 8 and 13 the gray man would be the coolest movie i've ever seen Mm -hmm. and if this was 1990 and it starred harrison ford and was coming out on the 4th of july i think people would be rushing to the theater to see it 
I had a blast with this. Mm-hmm. It is complete nonsense. And as someone who read the Mark Grignier novel okay. that this is based on, it is very faithful to that, especially with its dark humor streak. Okay. But the thing that I just can't help but scratch my head over to this day Will this play for a 2022 audience? I don't know. Will... Yeah, I, I, I really dislike this movie, and it, it kind of. I'll, I'll save my bridge into the, the, the broader our conversation about the broader state of Netflix's original movies, but, um, you know that this is a kind of movie that has a premise that you've seen in like a billion other movies. Oh yeah. What not, not that that's a bad thing. You know, there, there is, I, I, I say that simply as, as a statement of fact, you know, it is, it is one of these, whether it's the Bourne movies, the mission impossible movies, even a few of the James Bond movies. Um, you, we can go on and on essentially like a setup of a, some sort of black ops CIA, globetrotting spy um figure in this movie played by ryan gosling who uncovers a conspiracy and then his own agency starts to hunt him down across the globe as he's he's trying to unravel this conspiracy um in this movie chris evans is sort of the the i guess the the tommy lee jones to his harrison ford go to (laughs) sort of go throw your 90s metaphor back um but and even even it's interesting sort of mentioning that like there i don't know if you're watching this show the old man on fx Mm -hmm. but like there's a show that's going on right now that's basically this premise and and i think what i'm getting a better version right and so i think the fault I have in this movie or kind of the biggest fault I have in this movie is it sets up this very, very, very familiar dynamic that you've seen played out in dozens upon dozens of action movies, but it doesn't really do anything. I think to kind of differentiate itself from anything else that's come before, whether it's, it's, I mean, it, it tries to have, I think a kind of, snarky quippy sense of humor to it in in some places um i agree with you i think we should talk more about the the construction of the action sequences which i thought were kind of like with with the exception of maybe one i think were kind of like shockingly bad and kind of hard to follow in places um but even like you know something like the mission impossible franchise is able to sort of do i mean every mission impossible movie basically has some version of this plot but like is able to elevate it with a kind of spectacle and and just the links that tom cruise is willing to go to in these stunts in every movie or something like the old man that's happening right now on television that is basically like is doing this plot, but the central mystery and conspiracy at its center is so much more interesting in the way that show is kind of like slow dripping it out week after week, as well as, you know, giving its actors these like very complicated characters with kind of shifting alliances and secrets that they hold and just makes it a more kind of captivating experience on a week by week basis. I don't know. I I'm really, I bring up that show cause I'm really enjoying it. And it, I kind of thought about it constantly watching this of like, it's kind of wild that there's this other ver that that is kind of a great example of a very tried, someone taking this very tried and true premise for an action movie. And it's not like overthinking it, but is just sort of, finding what's the most interesting way we can kind of execute this. Um, and and this just sort of seemed like, I, I keep seeing all these comparisons of like, this feels like a fake movie. Like this feels like <laughs> a movie that would be within another movie. Um, and you would just be like, you know, you would be watching like, I can't believe I'm about to throw out this reference. Um, 
you'd be watching like Entourage or something like that. <laughs> and this feels like something that would be like a joke within that show of like, oh yeah, Vinny Chase is going to do, I cannot believe I'm referencing a show I, act, I actively abhor on this podcast. But you know, you, you see what I'm saying? This would be something of oh, like, yeah. oh, this person is doing that kind of movie, but there's no sort of specificity to like, what makes this version different than any other is just like oh so and so is just going to be in globe trotting spy movie if that makes sense and i think before i kind of dig in into i guess at this point my defense of the gray man mm -hmm. i think the thing about it is it all comes down to your affection for this kind of movie mm -hmm. um you know yes I have a nostalgia for the action genre in general. I think the bar has been set so high in the past couple years, mm -hmm. um, especially with things like the Raid franchise and, you know, films where the filmmakers really got to kind of just let themselves go. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Netflix, I, I know, has been a big advocate for original voices and now is kind of doubling back on that. Mm -hmm. um, and the frustrating thing with a film like this especially with how the Russos know to do scope mm -hmm. is that the scope feels relatively small and the sets feel relatively small. There yeah, isn't definitely. any real sense of spectacle. There's nothing tactile about it. No. You know, in, in thinking about like you mentioned scope and spectacle compared to something like a mission impossible movie where it's like real low, you can tell it's real locations, real cities. You can tell that Tom Cruise is actually doing these things right here this sort of feels it there's something artificial seeming about it as as though you can tell this was just sort of shot with green screens and small sets with a few people i don't know if that means covid protocols or 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 just um you know it 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 did remind me kind of like this is now the most expensive net movie netflix has put into production topping the their previous attempt at kind of a big huge blockbuster which was red notice last year and red notice like similar i think this is a better movie than red notice i'll i'll, I'll say that up front but kind of similar complaints of that sort of feeling like a fake movie and the way i seeing a lot of people comment on the way that movie looked of just sort of like i there there's nothing tangible here like you're going to all of these like ex this is supposed to be this globe trotting action movie but i don't feel like you're actually in any of these places i feel like you just got gal gadot the rock and ryan reynolds to like stand in front of a green screen and quip for a little bit and be like well we'll just we'll put the coliseum in behind them or something like that and to be fair this is leaps and bounds above Red Notice for me. Yes. This, yes. <laughs> Red Notice is one of the worst films of the year. I'll just say that right now. Um, at, you know, and I agree with you. It's it's not even as much the blame on the Russos themselves, but on Netflix, I think misunderstanding the assignment when it comes to how much they give their creatives control. Mm -hmm. um, in a, I see a scenario where if the Russos had a little bit more free reign with maybe some of the money decisions in terms of where things could go, mm -hmm. um, I think they'd be right on board. But I can't help but wonder at this point if Netflix is more interested in attracting the star power than propping up whatever their star power is in. You that, know? Th that definitely seems to be the point and and i mean i'm sure once this goes live on everyone's netflix accounts like i'm sure it'll shoot to the top just because people oh, yeah. will be like there's a movie with chris evans and ryan gosling in it and i will just at least have that on in the background yeah at the like, very least this is a great movie to fold your laundry to you know it's it's the sort of thing to where you're you've got the quips you've got the action sequences and I do kind of want to say Ryan Gosling is good at this sort of thing. He is is not the weak link, I think, here. Um, Chris Evans is overcooking it. And I, think, I, I think we're going to disagree on this. 
this, okay. this is going to be interesting. So, so okay. you're saying you you like Gosling just of those two? Because I would say everyone else in the movie doesn't really get much to do. No, um, everyone else is is a is an idea or a a cardboard cutout of a character to progress Chris Evans or Ryan Gosling along. Right, right. They're they're sort of either an exposition mouthpiece or um you know there there is a a small child character a terminally ill child character in this movie played by um you know the the very adorable Julia Butters from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But you know the minute that character came on screen I was just like that th- this character only this is like a something pulled from like a screenwriting 101 textbook or something of like character that only exists in order to create stakes or something like that now let me ask you this can i get into book spoilers here sure okay this this isn't on my my summer reading list i I have some other books i need to get to so feel free to spoil ahead (laughs) unless unless there is a diehard gray man series you know fan out there who's going through the journey right now i apologize but in the book, there is not just one child. There are two. And they're all British. <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton is British. There is an entire family. It's not just one granddaughter. And she does not have a terminal illness. So I don't know what got lost in translation along the way there. I don't know if the Russos were trying to be clever. Uh-huh. Um, how Billy Bob Thornton's character and Julia Butters' character in the book is set up, there's a little bit more of an understanding of why Ryan Gosling's character cares so much than this film. Mm-hmm. I think there are maybe three conversations in this movie that are supposed to establish the relationship between the Gosling and Julia Butters characters. Mm-hmm. That kind of just feels like a screenwriter's idea of how characters become friends versus actual conversations. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know what got lost along the way. I don't know what got missed from that translation. Um, the thing that surprised me about this was just how quippy it was. I, I think that's carried over from that. That seems like a carryover from the Marvel stuff of just sort of like that, that just seems like something ingrained in the Russos at this point of like, this is an essential bit to like making a movie like this is you need to have, or just trying to replicate that kind of that, that this feels like this thing of like, does it feel to you like, except for stuff like Top Gun or maybe like something that's just like brooding and dark, like Dune or Batman, like everyone's just trying to be Robert Downey Jr in your blockbusters these days like er- everyone's <laughs> just trying to be just like firing off quips all the, all the time and i love robert downey jr but it's a little like the every everyone needs to sit down we you can't all do this this was fun when he was the like one of like two or three people doing this but when everyone in the movie is doing this it's not funny and clever anymore it's it feels like way overwritten <laughs> And I think it's just a tricky situation of coming off of someone like Robert Downey Jr., who was so good at it mm-hmm. and so almost effortless at it. It mm-hmm. just came off so easy. Here, and at least in this film, I think you have some people who get away with it better than others. Mm-hmm. And I know we're still going to disagree on who's, you know, yeah. doing what. We should talk but about like that you, next. Yeah. You have Ana de Armas, and she's pretty solid being Mm -hmm. quippy you know i think i had a buddy who said it best this is basically like if the paloma character from no time to die Mm -hmm. got to have her own adventure and i'm okay with that but she's so uh, it's it's funny (laughs) you bringing that up because it's sort of like uh she she's just so much more like alive and like bubbly yes. and ex- and like exciting in in that movie and i that I, it's weird like i i never made that that sort of cross connection watching and now and i was just like oh yeah she was in this other like big globe trotting spy movie last year and she was like 
that's that's like the best scene in that movie when she comes on and just like oh, brings this this new energy to it and it just that 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 this movie gets like an extra like star knockdown for just sort of oh like no that. no no <laughs> um but you know it's it's that kind of thing where a lot of these quips worked for me and didn't make me roll my eyes mm-hmm. and especially when you have the Evans and Gosling character getting to kind of verbally spar with each other, mm-hmm. I think that stuff works because they're both capable actors who know how to do this kind of sardonic humor to where it isn't just cringe inducing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have other characters like our the boy from Bridgerton, R- Roger Jean Page. Mm-hmm. Don't know if that's the cor- correct pronunciation. So any fans can I apologize? <laughs> that seem like they're coming out of a bad PS2 video game where they just were the Russos basically told them ooze as much villainy as you can to where Ana de Armas is going to have to wipe it off her face. Like just a, a almost nonsensical level of just menace mm-hmm. that really isn't at all scary or mm-hmm. threatening and doesn't make us as an audience feel any sort of concern for the Gosling character. Yeah. And I think that's where this movie really loses me, is the villains are on 11, where Gosling is on like a 7. And I don't know if there's ever that balance to where you buy into the threat. And some of these set pieces work, I think particularly the, I believe it was Berlin. The, 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 the section with the train, that's probably yes. the one set piece that that worked for me while all the others I thought were just either <laughs> it's it's funny, I I saw on Letterbox David Sims, the critic at the Atlantic, just like his like letterbox comment for this movie was just like why why all the action scenes be covered in just like smog and smoke? Like <laughs> you know, there even like to make another mission impossible comparison like there is a a kind of uh a action sequence involving like ryan gosling and some henchmen like jumping out of a plane and a plane in free fall that you know it made me obviously think of the halo jump sequence in uh i believe fallout that that was in that mission impossible and and like how incredible that sequence is and being able to follow it and how like real it actually feels as you're watching it even though you know it's it's very clearly like some special effects being used oh Um, yeah no 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 completely or 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 even like another movie this year i did not like but that that sequence made me think of was the like falling out of the plane scene in um uncharted Yes. Which was kind of like a, I thought like a pretty dull, boring movie. Like I kind of thought of this one, but like that was the one sequence where the movie like kind of came to life and had some some spark of kind of just like visual fun to it, um, and some playfulness. And then like in this scene, it's so obscured by like clouds, and you can like barely even see like the faces of the people fighting. And I would just there was just so many action scenes here that were so either obscured by elements or so kind of dimly lit in the room that I just kind of like sat there watching thinking like, is, is there something wrong with my TV or like, like what is happening in like most of these action sequences? Like I, I cannot just the way they're cut, the way they're lit. It is sort of like visually impossible to figure out like what is going on in any of them except for that the one train sequence in like broad daylight essentially which is thrilling and i think that whole sequence before the train as you know certain characters are hooked to places and cannot escape as a plethora of bad guys are coming their way Mm -hmm. is really exciting and you understand where the geography of where everyone is in comparison to each other um, and it's frustrating because in a film like this, you want more moments like that to kind of build the tension. Mm-hmm. You know, the best comparison I can make to this is recently I did a rewatch of Edgar Wright's Cornetto trilogy. Mm-hmm. And that's a series that plays with conventions of certain genres. 
And I and with Gray Man, you can see where the Russos kind of flirt with that idea, mm-hmm. such as you know the conversations that are had between Evans and and Gosling, as you know they're mid chase. Or that sequence we refer to, and even the finale, I think, is another indicator to where there are some riffs they're attempting to do with the genre. And I, the ambition is there enough for me to where I was never bored. Mm-hmm. But by the time I walked away from it, you just felt like the potential wasn't met all the way, even if, even as someone who had fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, is this anything anybody needs to see in a theater? No, 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 no. Well, and that made me think of like, you know, us kind of complaining about some of the the visual look of it. Are you sort of talking about like the effects kind of looking rough in a couple places? I wonder how much of that. I mean, I'm maybe going to phrase this question to you with a bit of a. I'm going to use an I statement, an I I statement I have okay. about uh, the Russos, which is which is maybe not thinking the Russos are the most like visually interesting filmmakers. Like I've been going back and like rewatching some of the the Marvel movies over the this past year, and kind of like their their MCU stuff sort of looks like the most visually bland to me of, of that series um and so maybe wondering like i i don't know whether to me that is the sort of look of this movie and some of the kind of like aesthetic problems you and i are having with it has to do with sort of that just not being i think their skill set in filmmakers is kind of like you know especially in thinking about those marvel movies is really bouncing personalities off each other and knowing how to you know almost like someone with a soundboard being able to play up certain people in the room and know when to bring someone in as though they're like a musical instrument in a symphony or something like that um or whether this kind of problem that you and i are talking about has to do with this ultimately being a movie that is just sort of like despite the size of the budget despite the spectacle that it's trying to achieve it's meant to (laughs) at the end of the day it comes down to like this is a movie that people are going to watch on their televisions at home and whether or not part of that has to do with like we have to have a kind of a certain visual look in order to fit people's televisions at home and or and and that they can adjust their television to sort of figure out to get it how they want and that this is being designed with like tv settings in mind and not design and so like people you know if you don't have like the right setting you're watching it and being like what what why can't i follow any of this oh yeah no i agree and i think a lot of it too just in terms of you know we keep going back to the effects and things like that There's an admiration I have when these Netflix movies at least attempt to throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. Mm -hmm. And in terms of action spectacle, they are really throwing everything against the wall here and hoping that, you know, 25 to 30 percent of it sticks. And I would say in that way, it does as a form of empty calorie entertainment. Mm hmm. To where you can watch it and then maybe an hour later forget what you saw. Mm-hmm. But I think at the end of the day, the question that needs to be asked is, is that a good thing? Mm-hmm. Is that a good thing that we're being given forgettable but very enjoyable? And I can't stress it enough. I was so giddy with some of these action sequences. Like I think that opening action sequence at the cl- in the club and mm-hmm. I believe – hong kong i don't know is really thrilling and really Mm -hmm. tightly paced and gives enough of a setup to where we're not spoon-fed anything it shows us it doesn't tell us so take of that what you will um as as this sort of action spectacle on the most rudimentary levels, I think the Russos have a competent enough understanding. 
after Endgame of mm. how to do this. Um, and I would like to see them maybe tackle something else. I would honestly see another one of these movies mm-hmm. just with someone else maybe behind the camera who has a better understanding of globetrotting action. And maybe someone who, I don't know, doesn't have the cast that they have to wrangle Mm -hmm. or this size of a cast is what I should say, because I feel like we're spending so much time with characters who tell us Mm -hmm. how we're supposed to respond to the gray man or Chris Evans and his just mustache. That is a character in and of itself that you were never really left room to kind of make up our mind in terms of how we feel. We're just continuously told how to feel Mm -hmm. and told how severe these stakes are, which takes you out of it where it, whereas it should keep you enthralled. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I think the thing you and I keep going back to is it's that kind of thing to where you wonder if a studio got this movie, mm-hmm. if we might get something a little more well-rounded than something like Netflix that maybe is more into the side of get as many stars as you can, put it on the streaming service. We've got a number one hit on our hand for a month. Yeah, it's it's maybe this is actually before we get there, I, w- I want to get your thoughts so we could have a little hash it out about like Evans versus Gosling in this movie. You're oh, let's you're do it. you're more uh pro gosling here and less wild about the evan performance i'll just say i i love ryan gosling he seemed a little kind of bored here i i wanted it seemed to be sort of a weird middle between him and kind of full um charisma goofball mode and uh you know some of his more restrained performances um while evan's even though Evans is doing a lot and it's a lot of like, let me open up my magic actors bag and see what stuff I can put on, see what disguises I oh, can yeah. put on. Um, I at least like, I, I don't know. I just think Evans is just so great at playing just like a capital a asshole <laughs> in <laughs> movies and would kind of just be fine if like, after the earnestness of Captain America, he just kind of like does nothing but these characters. So I, I, I enjoyed that he at least was like he seemed like he was having fun and going big and is like good at doing that kind of character. While Gosling, I kind of felt was sort of like I tor- torn between these two different modes that he can go in, and I was like, I, I need, I need some fluctuation. This is this is too much in the gray. As to make a metaphor. <laughs> I like the metaphor. Yeah. It works. Um, you know, and, and I can salute the Russos with as long as they've worked with Evans, giving him more room since they have the space to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's Evans's fault necessarily. Mm-hmm. I just can't help but wonder if it's a writing thing. Mm. and I think there's a way you can make this character, because to give people a little preface, you know, before they see the movie, Evans is supposed to be a bit of a psychopath. Yes. And there's just... It's the same issue I had earlier. There's too much of a conversation around him being a psychopath Mm -hmm. that I feel like Evans has to live up to. Mm Mm-hmm. And it teeters into the line of parody for me Mm, to where by the end of it and the big, because let's face it, this isn't a spoiler. All these movies have a big third act face off. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows this. If you've seen action films, you know this. To where at that point I was laughing more than I was fearful. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think with Gosling, I think his strongest performance, and a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this, is Crazy Stupid Love. Because he gets to have a little more fun. I would not hard disagree with that. I, th- um, I think that is a respectable choice. I, I think it at least just shows that instead of just the silent bad guy or tough guy from Drive or Only mm-hmm. God Forgives, he gets to have 
a bit of fun. And I think there are enough flourishes of that in here with the tough guy bravado Mm -hmm. that it at least didn't feel like something you could plug, let's say, Jason Statham into Mm -hmm. or someone along those lines who kind of can only play one mode. Mm. And I'm not saying that as this always works, Mm -hmm. but I think it's a cool choice and enough of an interesting choice to where you're not going to ever be bored with him in it. So let's let's kind of transition to talking about Netflix larger. Yeah. So Netflix has kind of had this rough year where you know their their stock has gone down. They've lost subscribers. Um, we don't have to get too much into the nitty gritty of that. I would say if you want some really thorough reporting on that, uh, Matt Bellany over at Puck has just been like yes real real just like i think the best person at breaking down this whole thing in a really understandable but clear way um but as far as netflix's movie strategy you know it feels like what we're now at kind of like year five or six of them making original movies it feels like 2017 was kind of like when that really i feel like first started um and it it kind of felt like initially it seemed I'm going to look, this might be a better way to explain it. There's kind of like what I think of five things as sort of like the Netflix movie. So thing number one, which was sort of what I feel like they kind of cut their teeth doing is kind of smaller scale kind of indie movies um, that were maybe going to have a tough time sort of getting made and put out in theaters by a big studio. Um, More like Carrie Fukunaga's Beasts of No Nation, that kind right. of thing. Or I'm right. thinking of there's this one with Jason Segal that I don't really remember like super liking that I think was called like The Discovery or something. Um, yes. Yeah, but the, you know, this sort of like these very, very small movies that, you know, might be kind of like a hard sell at a festival might not be necessarily like the theatrical commercial appeal for them, but Netflix can provide a home for them. You know, the second thing I think is them kind of piggybacking off of that and then going to sort of big auteurs and saying like, what is sort of your dream project that you can't get money for, or you can't get released by a major studio. You're like Alfonso Corum with Roma Scorsese with the Irishman, Jane Campion, Power of the Dog, and sort of really charging headfirst into like, we are the home for kind of like the world's greatest filmmakers. We will make your dream project and give you the space and money to do it. Um, it seems like we're maybe approaching the end of that of that era. Yes, unfortunately. Um, based off, you know, some comments that Netflix has has made about how that doesn't really seem to be a successful strategy for them. Um, you know, we got a couple, I think, <laughs> perfect examples of that sort of wild swing of like, sounds like Noah Baumbach made like a hundred million dollar, like weird Don DeLillo adaptation. <laughs> and yes. uh, Andrew Dominic made like a three hour NC 17, like surrealist nightmare, Marilyn Monroe movie, um, which I can't wait to see both sound our movies. I'm thrilled to see, but, also feel like are made for no other people or maybe made for like you me and like six other people on this planet who would be interested in those things and And then then the ones that are going to get buried by netflix come six months after release right and then the other category i mean they kind of i think smartly leaned into we can do some kind of like lower budget genre stuff um i think that's kind of now crossed over into the tv um with some of the stuff they've been doing with mike flanagan but remember kind of like that 2017 2018 range of them putting out some like pretty solid horror movies on netflix and then of course i think they found to netflix's credit i think found a way to kind of own the market in rom-coms and realizing like nobody is making rom-coms at major studios anymore what if we just like financed a whole bunch of rom-coms now granted i think (laughs) we can transition here in a bit to like some of the problems with a lot of netflix original movies and i would say like the there is something kind of like 
cheap looking about a lot of the rom-coms that they make on Netflix. Oh, but yeah. um, you know, that then they've kind of transitioned into like we want to get in the business with like big stars and we want to make like big commercial like blockbuster movies. I mean, they another smart decision for them was to like get in bed early with Adam Sandler and it sounds like some of the most successful Netflix movies in terms of viewership ratings from what Netflix at least tells us are the Sandler comedies. Um, and then now they're wanting to do kind of these big tentpole movies. I mean, that like we mentioned red notice last year, gray man. Um, you could kind of count something like, I mean, there was that bad Will Smith movie. Um, bright. Is that what it was called? That was kind of their first attempt at like, we're going to do a big blockbuster or the Michael Bay movie, which, I think rides a little bit of this line of this point I'm trying to make, because that also is a bit of like Michael Bay will give you whatever budget you want. Like Michael Bay is like a blockbuster filmmaker, but also it's a little bit of the like auteur side of them being like, Michael, you can just do do whatever you want. And it's like the most extreme Michael Bay movie that's ever been made. Um, But like the gray man and red notice to me stand out as like, them doing these sort of vague imitations of blockbusters, like movies that have these giant scopes on paper. They have the big stars, like you're saying, but there's something a little like algorithmically generated about them is a term that I've seen flown around lately. Um, And that kind of being with aside of some of the awards stuff, which it maybe sounds like they're going to kind of like slowly move away from a little bit. It feels like the big two biggest problems that people have kind of had, or really three biggest problems. I think people have had with the Netflix original movies is the output. And clearly Netflix has been open now about how, like we need to be doing less and doing more either better quality stuff or stuff that is more strategically targeted for a specific audience instead of what their strategy has seemingly been in the last couple of years, which is like, we are everything to everyone. And then that creates kind of like, as people like Matt Bellany have reported kind of like creates sort of friction in the industry. Cause people are like, well, you're just sort of making stuff to like fill up a library, but they don't do a whole lot of promotion for that stuff. No. And so you're just sort of like, what is this new Netflix thing? And it has like some vague title and like someone you've never heard of before, but it's like all new rom-com. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, the other kind of problem with them is this sort of idea of them being like algorithmically generated of like people like this star or um, this premise. So what if we mix match them and maybe not, and because it's just sort of designed to be look on your TV, there's maybe not as much emphasis put on kind of like the visual look of some of these movies. No. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I've been rambling a lot. I kind of wanted to throw a lot of context out to oh, people yeah. about like a lot of the business talk that's been going around about the gray man. Um, I what What are kind of your thoughts about like, the Netflix movie experience um, and and like where it seems they're trying to shift and maybe like, have you had some of the same frustrations I've had of like, unless they're doing like a Martin Scorsese or a Jane Campion movie, right. just sometimes being right. like, I don't understand that this sort of seems like a vague, like AI generated version of, another kind of movie if that makes any sense oh yeah no i i think you hit the nail on the head we're at this point coming off of things like the irishman like power of the dog these big films they've gotten the oscar nominations but they haven't gotten the wins Mm -hmm. in the places i think netflix wants right um where i I think now we're at this point where they're going back to a rudimentary level Mm-hmm. where they are just looking for basic, like you said, filler entertainment. Mm-hmm. And audience response seems to be kind of being appeased by that, which is disappointing mm-hmm. because I think you, me, and all of our fellow film brethren who, you know, follow this news and watch these films and try to see whatever we can, whenever we can Mm -hmm. appreciate it when studios give filmmakers a little more breathing room Mm -hmm. 
And I think with something like this, you know, we've talked about how the Russos have been speaking about this movie. You would think they were given more space than they ended up with. Mm -hmm. And it's not even qualms aside, you know, I've talked about kind of enjoying the zippiness and quippiness of the the whole thing. And, you know, I've actually gone through another half of a rewatch and still quite enjoyable. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it delivers those thrills, but you just feel like they haven't broken through the glass ceiling they're looking for yet. Mm -hmm. And this was their hope of that. And I don't think they've gotten there. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it seems like from some of the business reporting that's been doing there, they, they theoretically want to be moving towards a quote unquote quality, not quantity um, strategy right. right now of like, you know, let's not put out like 200 movies a year and just sort of like fling them on a calendar and have something coming out every week. Like let's put our money into projects like the gray man where we can spend a lot of money to attract a lot of big stars to it and try and have that as like the thing that people want to subscribe so they can watch this thing. Um, right. Have and the I want talent elevate the material. Right. And I wonder if, I wonder if the next step considering some of the ad tier stuff they've been bringing up is like whether or not they open up a bit more into, I don't understand really if you're Netflix, especially at this point with, the sort of financial place they seem to be in like give a theatrical window for it, especially since the theatrical window model yes. seems to be sort of like readjusting and seems to be like completely changed now post pandemic and all the other studios are doing it. And so maybe it's beneficial of like Netflix can make money by like having a movie making a big blockbuster and putting it in a theater and like making money off of it that way. And then be like, and in a month it'll be on your Netflix or something instead of this weird kind of like, we'll put it out in a few theaters, like for like a week or a couple days. And then it'll just what like appear on your queue. And we'll trust that you find it that way instead of like really going to bat to try and like promote and get people to go see something. Well, and it's funny you bring that up, and, and I think this is kind of a good place for people to think kind of about where we are right now. Look at studios like Amazon that mm-hmm. have a new Ron Howard movie opening in theaters in a week. Right. And then isn't on Amazon for another three weeks. Right. You're giving enough time to build hype. Eight, eight, and, eight, Warner Brothers is putting like the put the batman on hbo max but waited like what a month and a half and then the elvis yep. movie is i think an end of august so like almost two months or something since that movie came out or something like you're that you're giving your your material room to breathe i mm-hmm. think in a way netflix isn't and the way I, you can kind of wrap this together you can't help but wonder if netflix has so much product they want to deliver mm-hmm. and have ready to go that they don't have the room to breathe. And with a film like The Gray Man, I can't, I'm at this point convinced that it's fallen into this model to where, okay, yes, Gray Man, big $200 million movie, but we have six films coming out in the next two weeks after it. So we need to get to the marketing on those. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wonder if in a different world, again, if this was brought on by like, let's say Warner Brothers if there would be more of an emphasis on the spectacle in a way that doesn't feel corporate Mm -hmm. and more of a visceral experience than a manufactured one Mm -hmm. to where the film doesn't stop and tell you this is how you're supposed to feel because these two characters just had a conversation about that very thing. Um, And I think with what the Russos are given they appease audiences on the most basic level, but they don't do anything to break out of the mold like they are claiming in interviews that they have. Mm-hmm. And that's, to me, is what I found to be the most frustrating. 
is when your filmmakers talk about how they were given a lot of room, they really weren't. And even with this cast, they really weren't, which is just kind of perplexing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that's that's about as good a place as any to wrap us up for for this week. Um, if you choose to watch The Gray Man, I guess it'll be on your Netflix queue soon. Um, <laughs> so yeah, coming up in uh, the next week, we'll be discussing Jordan Peele's new movie, Nope. Uh, also have Bullet Train coming out soon. Um, as you mentioned, the Ron Howard movie, thir- Thirteen Lives. Is that what it's called? Thirteen Lives. Yeah. August fifth, it drops on Amazon, and then I believe it's a limited release on the 29th Yeah, end of July is when that's coming out. I'm actually gonna see that uh, here in a couple days. So, um, excited nice. to see how that's how that's gonna turn out. Uh, so yeah, keep keep tuned for the latest, and uh, we'll see you all next week.